Good evening. Good to see you on this afternoon and been looking forward to the opportunity of being able to come up here and be with you as well also. Uh, if I could, before we start on tonight, I want to go back over something that was mentioned in the introduction, and that was my grandson. Amen. <laughs> Man, I tell you, my wife and I, we're just riding on cloud nine, and uh, he was born on Mother's Day. On Mother's Day, he was born. His name is Hendrick Slocum. He weighed nine pounds, six ounces. He is big. He already has a job right now. He's that big. He's that big. But uh, we're, we're just enjoying that, just enjoying that. And it's amazing how your life just moves on and God just keeps adding to it. And that is truly a blessing. But good to be with you here on today. Uh, if you have your Bibles with you, and I think you do, we're going to be headed to the New Testament there's a man that we'll meet there. His name is Peter. And we'll be looking at 1 Peter chapter 4. Our job on tonight is to cover the entire chapter here. Uh, we'll read a couple of verses and then we'll go back and be able to pick some things apart that are within that particular passage and then keep moving and making our way through. Uh, 1 Peter chapter 4 is where we'll begin. Uh, the main theme, the main theme for the book of 1 Peter deals with victory over suffering, victory over suffering. In each one of the five chapters that are located in 1 Peter, the words suffer, suffered, or suffering will appear. It's in chapter 1, chapter 2, chapter 3, chapter 4, where we're going to be on tonight, and then in chapter 5. By the way, in chapter 5, the first verse has the word suffering in it. And so as you're going through 1 Peter, the word suffering is going to appear over and over again. But always remember, we still have victory over suffering. And so that's what Peter will lay out before us on this afternoon. We're in chapter 4. The first four verses, we'll look at them. The first four verses will deal with the spiritual mind subdues the flesh. The spiritual mind subdues the flesh. You want to keep that concept in mind as we begin with verse number one. If you have it, it reads as follows. For as much then as Christ has suffered for us in the flesh, arm yourselves likewise with the same mind. For he that hath suffered in the flesh hath ceased from sin, that he no longer should live the rest of his time in the flesh of, to the lust of men, but to the will of God. For the time past of our life may suffice us to have wrought the will of the Gentiles when we walked in lasciviousness, lust, excess of wine, revelings, banquetings, and abominable idolatries, wherein they think it strange that you run not with them to the same excess of riot, speaking evil of you. In verse number one, Peter tells us, For as much then as Christ have suffered for us in the flesh, Arm yourselves likewise. He's reminding us that Christ Jesus did suffer. He suffered for you and I in the flesh. He suffered from people attacking him. He suffered from people belittling him. He suffered before he went to the cross, the whipping, the beatings that he took. And then while on the cross, being pierced with those nails, and then someone took the sword and pierced him in his side, our Lord suffered for you and I that we might have eternal life. And so since we know that Jesus has suffered for us in the flesh, he says, arm yourselves likewise with the same mind. Now that phrase, arm yourselves, means equip. Equip yourselves. Arm yourselves or equip yourselves 
with the same mind. The same mind as who? The same mind that Christ had. Philippians chapter 2, verse number 5 reminds us, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Since Jesus suffered for us while in the flesh, you and I are going to suffer for Jesus while we're in the flesh. And so that's the pattern that we see in verse number one. Arm yourselves likewise with the same mind, for he that hath suffered in the flesh hath ceased from sin. What is he saying? He that hath suffered in the flesh hath ceased from sin. You and I were in this fleshly body. You and I are suffering while we are in this fleshly body. We're trying our hardest to live for King Jesus the Christ. But every day that we wake up, there's a bad man and his name is the devil. And he's on us day in and day out. And there are some things that you and I will suffer while we're in the flesh, but yet we're going to keep moving and we're going to keep going forward in life. And so as we're suffering in the flesh, he says, this person has ceased from sin. The idea that you and I are ch children of God, we suffer in the flesh, but also we have ceased from sin. In other words, we don't live that old lifestyle that we used to live. We've drawn a line in the sand. And we've walked away from that old lifestyle, and now we're living for King Jesus the Christ. We have armed ourselves, we have equipped ourselves, and we're ready now to live for Jesus. Verse number two, that he no longer should live in the rest, I'm sorry, that he no longer should live the rest of his time in the flesh to the lust of men, but to the will of God. The remainder of our life that we have, we're not going to waste time by living that old sinful lifestyle. No, we're gonna use every opportunity that we can to live for Jesus. And we're gonna occupy our time in living for Jesus. And we're not gonna go back down the same road anymore. He says, live the rest of his time in the flesh to the lust of men, but to the will of God. We're not falling prey to the lust of sin anymore, but we're gonna live for the will of God. And then in verse number three, he reminds us how we used to live. He reminds us how we used to live. Notice verse 3. For the time past of our life may suffice us to have wrought the will of the Gentiles. And another name for Gentiles would be heathens. And so he begins to talk about the will of the Gentiles, the actions of the Gentiles. And he's pointing out that there were Christians who were living that lifestyle. He begins in verse 3 by saying, when we walked in lasciviousness. When you hear the phrase, when we walked, or better yet, if we went to Genesis and we met a man whose name is Enoch, we'll find out that Enoch walked with God. When you hear that phrase, walking with God, that is a lifestyle. That's a lifestyle. That's a commitment that you have made your mind up that I'm going to walk with God. Well, how do you walk with God? Well, you obey God. You follow his teachings in the Bible, and that's walking with God. And so he says, there was a time when we walked in lasciviousness. There was a time when we weren't walking with God, and we were walking in lasciviousness. If you get a chance to look that word up, it deals with sensuality or sexual indulgence. Sensuality or sexual indulgence. He says, there was a time when we walked in lasciviousness. We're not doing that now, and that's what we say, hey, man. <laughs> We're not doing that now, but there was a time when we walked in lasciviousness, when we were involved in those things. There may have been a time when you were engaged in pornography, but you're not doing those things now because you're trying to live for Jesus. He then says there was a time when we walked in lust. 
when we had a desire or a craving or a longing for something that is forbidden, for something that is wrong. He says there was a time when we were walking in lust as well. He then talks about excess of wine, excess of wine. Think about it. There was a point in time when those Christians were dealing with an excess of wine. There may have been a point in time in your life when you were dealing with excess of wine. If you get a chance to look that up, it simply means an overflow or drunkenness. An overflow or drunkenness. It's not just a sip of wine. It's an overflow of drunkenness. You're at a point where it is just excess of wine. Peter is taking them back and reminding them, we used to do these things, but we don't do these things anymore. And then Peter names revelings. Revelings deals with a carousal, as in letting loose, rioting, a wild, drunken party or celebration. Peter says there was a time when we were engaged in revelings, which deals with a carousal, or as in letting loose, rioting, a wild, drunken party or celebration. Now, I'm with you now. There's nothing wrong with going to a party. It just depends on who's throwing that party. Amen. Remember your cousin? You got that picture? Your cousin? When your cousin invites you for a party, that's maybe one of those parties you don't want to go to. There was a time when we were going to parties that caused us to go the opposite way. Now, there's nothing wrong with you going to a brother or sister's birthday party or a party that they're having. There's nothing wrong with that in and of itself because they're going to be doing some godly things. But there are some parties that you just don't have any business attending. And Peter says, hey, we used to do those things. We used to be engaged in things like that, but not anymore. And then Peter talks about banquetings, and that deals with a drinking bout. A drinking bout. In other words, it's as if this person has lost all control. And the only thing that they have on their mind it's just being intoxicated, just drinking something. Peter says, listen, we used to walk that way with the Gentiles, with the heathens, but we, we don't do that anymore. And then Peter gives us the last one, abominable idolatries. That deals with unlawful image worship. Unlawful image worship. Idolatry in and of itself is already bad. But when it's abominable, we've heard in the Old Testament where God calls certain things an abomination, meaning that God, this is disgusting to God. He detests this. This is an abhorrence to God. This is something that God cannot stand. And Peter says, abominable idol idolatries. In other words, we cannot go down that path. So he starts off in verse number one saying that Christ suffered, we're going to suffer. We're going to equip ourselves. We're going to arm ourselves. And while we're in this fleshly body, we are determined to live for Jesus. He says in verse number two, we're, the remainder of our days, we're leaving, living for Jesus. And in verse three, he's simply reminding us that we don't need to go back to that old person. Notice verse number four. Wherein they think it's strange that you run not with them to the same excess of riot, speaking evil of you. Now, again, he's taking us back down memory lane. And it's a bad memory. It's a bad memory that he's taking us to. 
He says, listen, we used to do these things, the excess of wine, the revelings, and all these things. We used to do that. He says, but your friends will become so angry with you because you don't do the same thing that they are doing now. You used to do those things, but you're not doing those things anymore. And so they become angry with you, and they begin to speak evil of you only because, notice what the Bible says, that you run not with them to the same excess of riot. You're no longer running with them. You're no longer hanging with them. Why? Because you're saved. Why? Because you're a child of God. And because you are a child of God, you have taken a stand in life, and you will no longer run with that crowd. Well, what will they do? Well, they will speak evil of you. Well, that's all right. They did that when we were in kindergarten, didn't they? Mm-hmm. They did that in first grade, didn't they? Mm-hmm. Second grade, yeah. All the way through high school, they did that. We went to a beautiful place called college. You know what happened there? They did it there as well. You married. You're married now. You married into another family. They probably spoke evil of you there. You went to your family reunion. They probably spoke evil of you there. That's going to happen until the day we die. You know what else needs to happen until the day we die? We need to serve Jesus. We need to be steadfast. We need to be committed to serving our Lord. People are going to speak evil about you. Let's give them something good to talk about. Let's give them something great to talk about. Let's live that life for King Jesus the Christ. They're going to talk about you because you're no longer running with them. That's a good thing. And if they're going to talk, let them talk. You keep living for Jesus. Verses 1 through 4, he paints a beautiful picture about the spiritual mind subdues the flesh. You drop down to verses 5 and 6. He's going to be dealing with accountability. Accountability. Verse number 5. Who shall give an account to him that is ready to judge the quick and the dead? For for this cause was the gospel preached also to them that are dead, that they might be judged according to men in the flesh, but live according to God in the spirit. Who shall give account to him that is ready to judge the quick and the dead? At some point, we're going to have to give an account to him, Christ Jesus, who was ready to judge the quick, the alive, and the dead. Oftentimes in the Bible, when you hear the phrase, Quick is talking about a Christian, one who has walked away from the world and has given their life to God. At some point, Jesus will judge the quick and the dead. Then notice verse 6. For for this cause was the gospel preached also to them that are dead. Why was the gospel preached? Because Jesus is going to, we're going to give an account to Jesus for the things that we've done. And so the gospel has to be preached so that we can have an opportunity to be saved. Notice verse 5 again, and then we'll go into verse 6. Who shall give an account to him that is ready to judge the quick and the dead? For for this cause, what cause? That judgment is coming. We're going to have to give an account. For this cause, the gospel was preached also to them that are dead. The gospel was preached, past tense, to them that are dead. It was preached to them, but they rejected the word of God. The gospel was preached. They rejected it, that they might be judged according to men in the flesh, but live according to God in the spirit. In this fleshly body, people will be judging us, but in this fleshly body, 
we're going to live for God in the spirit. We're going to give it all that we got in terms of living for God and serving God. We're going to give it every ounce that we have. He's dealing with accountability, verses 5 through 6. As we move forward, verses 7 through 9, he's going to talk about sober living. Sober living, verses 7 through 9. We'll read it first, and then we'll go back and pick some things apart. But the end of all things is at hand. Be ye therefore sober, and watch unto prayer. And above all things, have fervent charity among yourselves, for charity shall cover the multitude of sins. Use hospitality one to another without grudging. Notice what he says in verse 7. But the end of all things is at hand. When you hear the phrase is at hand, it means that it is near, it is close. The end of all things is at hand. Be ye therefore sober and watch unto prayer. Three things that he's asking us to do. The first one, be sober. If you get a chance to look up the word sober, it means having a sound mind. Having a sound mind. Be sober. Have a sound mind where you're able to reason, where you're able to make godly decisions. Be sober. Now, here's what's interesting. When you look up the word watch, the word watch is defined as to abstain from wine. To abstain from wine. Think about it. You can't watch if you're drunk. Okay, maybe I'm only one who agrees with that. <laughs> if you're drunk, you can't watch. Be sober. Have a sound mind. Watch. We're going to be watching. He says the same thing almost in 1 Peter chapter 5 when he talks about be sober and vigilant because your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about seeking whom he may devour. The devil is out there, and that's all right that he's out there. We serve King Jesus Christ. And if we would live a sober life, if we, if we would live a life where we're watching, where we're abstaining from wine, and if we are praying, things begin to work in our favor. And so Peter is saying, listen, you may be suffering some things, but you just need to be sober. You need to watch, and you need to pray. Verse number eight, and above all things, have fervent charity. He's told us to be sober, to watch, and to pray. And then he says, and above all things, above everything else, Peter says you need to have fervent charity. If you get a chance to look up the word fervent, it means intent or without ceasing. Intent or without ceasing. What is it that I need to do without ceasing? Have fervent charity, fervent love. You mean I need to make sure that I have a purposeful intent? Yes, my intent is that I'm going to love everybody. He says, above all things, have fervent charity among yourselves. It's starting with the brotherhood. He's writing to Christians, and he's saying, have fervent charity among yourselves. Think about that for a second. He had to tell Christians to have fervent charity among themselves. He's not writing this to heathens. He's writing this to his brothers and sisters. And he has to tell his brothers and sisters, have fervent charity without ceasing. Have fervent charity. Make an intent to have fervent charity among yourselves. You and I need to wake up every morning with our mind focused that I'm going to love this person. I'm going to love this person. I know they're out to get me. 
I know they said some evil things about me, but I'm going to love this person because this is what God would have me to do. So every day that you wake up, God gives you another opportunity to show that love. And Peter says, above all things, have fervent charity among yourselves, for charity shall cover the multitude of sins. Do you see how special charity love is? That it will cover a multitude of sins? Not just one sin, a multitude of sins. We're not even counting anymore. We just, we're just naming it a multitude. It's just a multitude of sins. What will cover that? Love will. You ever met someone before? And maybe their mate is treating them bad, and you get angry because of how their mate is treating them, and you scratch your head and you say, man, how can they love that person when they disrespect them? How can they love that person when they treat them so bad? Well, charity, love, covers a multitude of sins. That love pushes them to stay together. That love covers a multitude of sins. When people do you wrong, love covers a multitude of sins. You see how important love is? Now we know why Peter said, above all things, above all things, have fervent charity among yourselves. What if we all practice that? that we're going to love our brothers and sisters. And after we've mastered it here, we'll take it out into the world and we'll begin to love everyone. Peter reminds us of that. Verse number nine, use hospitality one to another without grudging. It says use hospitality. If you get a chance to look up the word hospitality, it means fond of guests, fond of guests. You just love being friendly you just love being hospitable. You just love maybe inviting people over to your home, inviting them out to eat. You just love hospitality. You love being kind one to another. You know, my wife and I, we've been coming up here for a number of years now. And without fail, your leadership will do the same thing every time. They will always say, hey, if you get here early enough, we would love to take you guys out to dinner and just be able to spend some time with you. That's hospitality. But of course, we've never been able to pull it off because driving from that distance and trying to get here with traffic and everything, we've never been able to pull it off. But in my mind, at least they said it. In my mind, at least they offered it. That's hospitality. Make the offer, extend it, be hospitable one to another. He says, use hospitality one to another without what? Grudging, or in other words, without murmuring. In other words, without complaining. In other words, why we got to invite them to our house? Why they got to come here? Why couldn't they go to his house? Why couldn't they go to Brother Smith's house? If there's a Brother Smith, I'm sorry. Why they got to go to his house? Use hospitality without grudging, without complaining, without murmuring. Did you see his kids? Without murmuring, without complaining. Did you hear what he said? without complaining. Oh, this thing is going to try you. Just when you thought you had Christianity down pat, you fell into this scripture right here. You found out that not only do I have to be hospitable, but I got to keep my mouth shut. Oh, my goodness. This Christianity thing is taking us to another level. Is that suffering? Yes. That is suffering. That is suffering. So now you see why in the book of Peter, he's dealing with suffering. 
Notice verse 10. We'll start with 10 and read 11 as well. We're looking now at the use of gifts, the use of gifts. As every man have received the gift, even so minister the same one to another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. If any man speak, let him speak as the oracles of God. If any man minister, let him do it as the ability which God giveth, that God in all things may be glorified, glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom be praise and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Verse 10. As every man have received the gift. If you get a chance to look up the word gift in this context, it's going to come to us by way of the Greek word charisma, which deals with that same Greek word is also for the gift of miraculous gifts. He's saying in this context, as every man have received the gift, even so minister the same one to another. You have the gift, minister, serve, do that for one to another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. In other words, we're going to be ministering one to another, taking care of one another, being there for one another. And then verse number 11, he says, if any man speak, let him speak as the oracles of God. If you are going to say something, if one is going to speak, and he's talking about doctrinal wise and teaching, if any man speak, let him speak as the oracles of God. That word oracles, if you get a chance to look it up, it means an utterance or the very word of God. An utterance or the very word of God. In other words, if I'm going to stand here and preach to you, I better preach the word of God. I better use the word of God. If I'm going to stand here and share with you some information I better use the oracles of God, the very word of God. I should not be trying to insert my opinion in here. I should be just giving you the word of God. Who did he say that to? If any man speak, he said that to everyone. If any man speak, let him speak as the oracles of God. If any man what? Minister. Let him do it as the ability which God giveth that God in all things may be glorified, glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom be praise and dominion forever and ever. Amen. You know, the world would be a better place if we did verse number 11. You would never have to ask anybody again, what church do you go to? The answer would be Church of Christ. If we all are going to speak the oracles of God, we ought to be saying the same thing. We all would be speaking the same thing. Those days would be over. Embed that in your mind, that if you're going to teach someone, teach them the word of God. Don't insert your opinion. Just give them God's word. If they're going to get mad with anyone, let them get mad with God, because all you gave them was his word. And he tells us at the end of that, to whom be praise and dominion forever and ever, amen. When you drop down to verse number 12, 12 through 16, he's going to talk about true attitude in affliction. The true attitude that you and I should have when we're facing affliction. That's what Peter's about to deal with now. Again, 
he has not left the topic which deals with suffering. So far, you've seen the word suffering or suffered. You saw it twice in verse number one. And then as we're moving forward here in verse number 12, he says, Beloved, think it not strange concerning the fiery trial which is to try you, as though some strange thing happened unto you. Peter's trying to give us a news flash here, or as some people say, spoiler alert. In other words, Peter is saying, hey, don't think it's strange concerning the fiery trial, which is to try you as, so, as though some strange thing happened to you. Things are going to happen to you. Why? Oh, you think just because you're a child of God, nothing's going to happen to you? You think just because you're a child of God, no one will try you? You think just because you're a child of God, the pressures of life will not come to you? They will. That's why Peter is talking about suffering. Peter says, don't think it's strange when these fiery trials come upon you. He says, don't think it's strange. It's going to happen. They did it to Jesus. They did it to all of the apostles. They're doing it to Christians. You won't escape that. Don't think it's strange when it happens to you. That means you're doing something right. You're doing something right. Well, brother, I don't want that. Well, if you're going to be a child of God, you're going to get that. You can't escape that. It comes with the package. When you decided that you wanted to be a Christian, suffering comes with that. But again, there's victory over that suffering if you and I just hang in there. So Peter says, beloved, think it not strange concerning the fiery trial, which is to try you as though some strange thing happened to you. Verse 13, but rejoice inasmuch as ye are partakers of Christ. Here's the word, sufferings that when his glory shall be revealed, ye may be glad also with exceeding joy. He told us in verse 12, don't think it's strange when these things happen to you. Verse 13, but rejoice. Wait a minute. You mean when these things happen to me, not just trials, he said fiery trials. Oh man, that, that's just turning it up a, a notch. He's heating this thing up. Don't think it's strange when these fiery trials come to you. He says, but we need to rejoice. Think about that. Rejoice in as much as ye are partakers of Christ's suffering. Think about it that way. You are partaker. You're sharing this with Christ. You are partaker of Christ's sufferings when these things happen to you and I. In other words, it's not necessarily that it's happening to you, but you finally are partaker of what Christ went through. And we need to look at it that way. He tells us that we need to rejoice. Brother, brother, I don't think I'm there yet, brother. Well, hang in there. You may be there one day. You may be there one day. That you can rejoice over the idea that these things are happening. Don't give up on it. Hang in there and keep moving forward. He says, but rejoice in as much as you are partakers of Christ's suffering, that when the gl his glory shall be revealed, ye may be glad also with exceeding joy when his glory will be revealed you and i are going to be glad with exceeding joy not just joy but exceeding joy surpassing joy these things will happen but first there's going to be some suffering but while you're going through that you still can have joy you still can have joy you may not be happy in terms of how things are going, but you still can have joy.
you still can have joy. I'm not happy in how this is going. I'm not happy in how this turned out. But you still got joy. I know that God's going to make a way. Not happy about it, but I still got joy. Two different things. Notice what else he says as we move further. Notice verse 14. If you be reproached, that's another way of talking about suffering. If you be reproached for the name of Christ, happy are ye. For the spirit of glory, for the spirit of glory and of God resteth upon you. On their part, he is evil spoken of. But on your part, he is glorified. He warns us again, if you be reproached, defamed, or taunted by men for the name of Christ, he says, happy are ye. If you're being reproached for the name of Christ, happy are ye. That's a good thing. You're doing something right. You're standing up for Jesus. You're being that example. You're being what he wants you and I to be. And you and I should be happy over that. He says, happy are ye, for the spirit of glory and of God resteth upon you. On their part, he's evil what? Spoken of. But on your part, he's glorified. Because you are going through those things, because you are setting an example, Christ is glorified because of that. Yeah, but brother, that means I got to go through something. Well, didn't Jesus go through something? Didn't Jesus go through some pain? Wasn't Jesus humiliated? You try standing up for six hours just holding your hands out and see how long you can do that. And then look at how long he was on that cross, hanging there for you and I. And to have his mother at the foot of the cross, witnessing her oldest boy on that cross. That's a lot to go through. Did he suffer? Yes, he did. And what you and I, when we look at our life today and we compare it to that, our suffering was way down here compared to that. Thank God we don't have to go through what Jesus went through. It gives you a new way to look at suffering. It's not as bad as you thought it was. And so he's reminding us that we're going to suffer, we're going to go through some things, but hang in there. Verse 15, Peter reminds them, but let none of you suffer as a murderer. There's our word again. But let none of you suffer as a murderer or as a thief or as an evildoer or as a busybody in other men's matters. In other words, Peter is saying this, you are going to suffer as a Christian, but whatever you do, don't do this. Do not suffer as a murderer. Yes, you're going to suffer for being a child of God, but do not suffer as a murderer, that you have taken innocent life. Do not suffer as a murderer. Then he says, or as a thief. Do not suffer because of your actions, because you killed someone, someone who was innocent, you murdered them. Do not suffer because of your actions, because you are a thief. You have stolen from individuals. Don't suffer because of those things. He's not taught, that's not the will of God. Then he says, are an evildoer. He already has murderer. He already has thief. Evildoer, that's just in case he missed something. That's everything. Don't suffer as an evildoer. And then he says, are as a busybody in other men's matters. Did you see how he actually defined busybody? Let's say that we don't know what busybody means. He gave us a clue. Busybody 
in other men's matters. You, well, didn't the Bible say, look not every man on his own thing, but also on the things of others? Shouldn't I be doing that? Yeah, but busybody's in the negative here. Busybody, you're not trying to help anybody. You're trying to extract information to use against somebody. You are busy trying to get information to hurt someone or to spread gossip. He says, listen, don't you suffer as a busybody. Wouldn't it be great if we all were busy for Jesus? Instead of being a busybody, he says, don't suffer as a busybody. Don't suffer as a murderer. Don't suffer as a thief. Don't suffer as an evildoer. Verse 16, yet if any man suffer as a Christian, let him not be ashamed. Peter says, listen, if you're suffering as a Christian, don't you ever be ashamed for that. You're suffering because you're loving that person. Don't be ashamed of that. You're suffering because you're doing good things. Don't be ashamed of that. You're suffering because you shared the word of God with your neighbor. Don't be ashamed of that. You did what the Lord asked you to do. But if I'm a murderer, I need to be ashamed of that. If I'm a thief, I need to be ashamed of that. If I'm an evildoer, I need to be ashamed of that. And if I am a busybody, I need to be ashamed of that. But living for Jesus, you and I should not be ashamed of that. That's something that we love to do. Yet if any man suffer as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God on this behalf. You and I are going to glorify God over the idea that I'm suffering for the Lord. The Lord suffered for me, and now I'm suffering for the Lord. What a blessing. What a blessing. You have to look at it that way. Well, brother, I'm not there yet. You keep living. You're going to get there one day. You're going to get there one day. Yet if any man suffer as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God on this behalf. We have to have the attitude as we're going through these afflictions, have the attitude that this is going to work out fine. The last three verses, he's talking about a time of testing, a time of testing. Verse number 17 down to verse number 19. And 17, he tells us, for the time has come that judgment must begin at the house of God. And if it first began at us, what shall the end be of them that obey not the gospel of God? Now, during this time when Peter wrote this, they were being persecuted. They were going through a lot of things. And Peter is reminding them that judgment is going to begin with us. They're going to be coming after you. And Peter says, for the time is come. Peter's saying, it's come. It's here now. He says, for the time is come. They're not waiting for something later. He says, for the time is come that judgment must begin at the house of God. Peter says, it's going to begin with us first, the house of God. They're coming after us first. Then Peter goes on and tells them, and if it first began at us, what shall the end be of them that obey not the gospel? He says, listen, if it first began with us, what will the end be like for those who did not obey the gospel? It's going to be a testing time. Notice verse 18. And if the righteous scarcely be saved. That word scarcely deals with hard or difficult. Hard or difficult. And if the righteous scarcely be saved, where shall the ungodly and the sinner appear? During those times of what the Christians were going through, Peter says if the righteous scarcely be saved or hard or difficult to be saved, 
Where shall the ungodly and the sinner appear? What would life be like for that if the Christian is already going through some things? If you think you got it bad, what do you think the people are doing that are ungodly, that have not obeyed the gospel? Oh, when you see them out and about, they look like they're having the time of their life. But at night, that's when the rubber meets the road. When you put head to pillow, that's when the rubber meets the road. We don't see what they're going through then. Out in the open, looks like everything's fine. There's always going to come a time, a quiet time, when a man or a woman will think about their state in this world and their life with God. Verse 19, wherefore let them that suffer, there's that word again, wherefore let them that suffer according to the will of God commit the keeping of their souls to him in well-doing as unto a faithful creator. Wherefore let them, that's us, that suffer according to the will of God. We're suffering according to the will of God. Commit the keeping of their souls to God. We're going to commit the keeping of our souls to God in well-doing as unto a faithful creator. Yes, we may suffer some things, but you and I have victory over that. If we just hang in there, one day we're going to hear King Jesus of Christ say to us, well done, thou good and faithful servant. We just got to hang in there, and we got to keep the faith and keep moving in the right direction. As we close out on tonight, my friends, and we extend the invitation, we're going to be going to the book of Philippians. Philippians chapter 3. Philippians chapter 3. We're looking at three verse, two verses here, verse 13 and 14. Philippians chapter 3, verse 13 and 14. The Apostle Paul will give us something to think about in terms of moving forward, picking yourself up, dusting yourself off, and moving on for Jesus. He gives us several things to think about, 13 and 14. Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do. Forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth unto those things which are before. I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Notice what Paul says, brethren, he's speaking to the church. Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended. The word apprehend means to seize or to lay hold of or to take eagerly. Paul says, I count not myself to have apprehended but this one thing. Paul says, there's one thing that I have apprehended. There's one thing that I have seized. There's one thing that I have taken eagerly. What is it, Paul? Forgetting those things which are behind. Paul says, this is the one thing that I've apprehended. This is the one thing that I have arrested, that I have grabbed a hold to in my mind. That's forgetting those things which are behind. You get a chance to look up the word forgetting. It means to lose out of mind, to lose out of mind. Were there some things that Paul needed to lose out of his mind? Yes. Acts chapter 7, Stephen being stoned to death, Paul was there. Paul witnessed that. Paul encouraged that. Acts chapter 8, made havoc of the church, entering into every home, bringing men and women out and committing them to prison, even killing them. Paul had to forget that. Acts chapter 9, verse number 1, breathing out threatenings and slaughter against the disciples of the Lord. Paul had to forget that. Paul had to get that out of his mind so that he could move forward. 
Could you imagine being the Apostle Paul everywhere you went, people reminding you of the person you used to be? And Paul says, this is what I've apprehended, forgetting those things which are behind. Where are they? Behind. They're behind us for a reason. Amen. Forgetting those things which are behind, reaching forth into those things which are before. It's back here. I'm going to leave it back here. What will I do next? I'm reaching forth unto those things that are before. I'm making an effort. I'm giving it all that I got. I'm stretching and I'm reaching forward. If it's in the past, I'm losing it out of my mind. Why would I do that? So that I can move forward in serving God. You ask God to forgive you for that sin, and he did that. Leave it back there in the past and keep reaching forward. Then Paul tells us in verse 14, I press toward the mark for the prize. The word press means to pursue or to persecute. Persecute? That sounds strange. Well, when somebody's persecuting you, they're going after you, and they won't stop. They won't let up. They just keep persecuting you. Paul says, I'm pressing, I'm pursuing, I'm persecuting. What are you doing, Paul? I'm pressing toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. What's the formula, Paul? I've apprehended, taken hold of, seized. I've apprehended this one thing. What was it, Paul? Forgetting those things which are behind. I'm going to lose it out of my mind. What will you do after that, Paul? I'm reaching forth unto those things that are before. What will you do after that, Paul? I'm pressing. I'm making an effort. I'm pressing toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Heaven can be our home one day. We just got to forget about the past. Reach forward to those things that are before and keep pressing for the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. If you're here tonight and you don't have a relationship with God, this beautiful book called the Bible gives you and I detailed information in terms of what we must do in order to be saved. One of the things that we need to do is we need to hear the word of God. Well, why is it that I need to hear the word of God? Well, Romans chapter 10, verse number 17 tells us, so then faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. I know I need to have faith in order to be saved. But how do I obtain faith? Well, faith cometh. How does it come? By hearing. What do I need to hear? The word of God. When you hear the word of God, it produces faith. You then take that faith and you begin to believe in God. Well, do I have to believe in God? Yes, you do. Hebrews chapter 11 and verse number 6. But without faith, it is impossible to please him. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is and that he is reward of them who diligently seek him. We must believe in God. We must believe in his son, Jesus the Christ. We must believe that he lived, he died for our sins, he was buried, and that he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 1 through 4. After we have established belief, the son of God tells you and I in Luke 13, 3, I tell you nay, except you repent, ye shall all likewise perish. We need to repent. We need to have a change of mind that results in a change of action our lifestyle. We need to turn away from that which is sinful and wrong and come back to Christ Jesus. After repentance takes place, you and I need to confess with our mouth. The same confession Ethiopian eunuch made in Acts chapter 8 and the latter part of verse number 37 where he said these words, that I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. 
Was it true that everybody has to confess that? Yes. Philippians chapter 2, verse number 11. Every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. That confession has got to be made. Then after that confession has been made, it's time for us to be baptized. What will baptism do for you and I? Acts chapter 22, verse number 16. And Ananias said to Saul that day, and now why tarest thou? Now what are you waiting for? Arise and be baptized, washing away thy sins and calling on the name of the Lord. He told him what to do, and he told him why he should do it. What to do? Arise and be baptized. Why should you do it? Wash away your sins. You mean baptism is going to wash it away? Yes. The old you will go down in that watery grave. Your sins will be washed away, and you'll come up a new individual. And what do you do from that day forward? Revelation chapter 2, and the latter part of verse 10, Jesus said, Be thou faithful unto death, and I'll give thee a crown of life. Salvation can be yours, my friend. Is this the day that you walk out of here a saved individual? And if it is the case that you are saved, and maybe just simply stand in need of prayer, or maybe you know of others who need the prayers of the church, we want to invite you to come as we all together stand and sing the song of invitation. Thank you.